Curious to know, we're 10 days out from the big day that every kid is in this room or beyond this room is counting down the minutes, the hours, and so forth. It's the only day that you don't have to tell your kids to get out of bed uh, of the whole year. So how many of y'all are finished with your Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. I'm going to see it across the room. Keep your hands up. Wow, y'all are slackers. About a half of the uh, room today. First hour, they I mean they're like all of them are all done. Uh, so uh, that's that's those are the people that are I guess the punctual. They got out of bed early, right? They had no problem getting here at nine ten. The the uh, okay. So here's the second question. It kind of follows up with that. And you don't. I'm not asking you. Did you do it this year? Because that might be awkward. But to be the person sitting next to you and you're wondering, is this the regift? Um, so if you've ever regifted a gift over Christmas uh, to somebody else, office gift given to you, family given last year, and you hold on to it and give it to somebody else this year, if you've ever regifted a gift at Christmas time, raise your hand. Great. There's a lot more participation on that one. Uh, a lot more people have done that. Now, I tell you this, Lori and I were doing regifting before regifting was cool. Uh, we were doing it before Seinfeld ever came up with it uh, and the episode on Seinfeld and named it that. And so we, when we got married, I know it was a long time ago, 29 years ago this December, but when we got married, it was long before, or it was just the beginning of kind of these marriage registries that you can kind of keep track of what everyone's giving around. The, around. And so we had, we had that going on at one of the stores, but there was not, nothing like it is today. And so what you would find is you had relatives in Tennessee and Texas and Missouri, fa- family and friends in Arkansas, and they would have a wedding shower or they would they would send gifts or they would come to the wedding and you might get the same gift multiple times. And so uh, anybody identify with that? That's kind of what you went through? Okay, so here's what you do with that gift. You either take it back to the store and get something you want, but we learned that we were having a lot of college friends because we were college uh, age and getting married. So we just took a closet and dedicated it to the regifting closet. Okay, and we just packed everything in there. And so whenever somebody else was getting married and they were a friend, we would just go, okay, do they need a toaster? Do they need a spice rack? Do they need a knife set? And we figured if they had any kind of criminal record, we would not give them a knife set. They were not knife friends. They were spice friends. And so uh, we, whatever that case may be, we just pull it out until the last gift was given. But that's regifting, and you know, it comes to gifting and, and weddings and so forth. We 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 we've got that down. In fact, the world's economy is based on the ripple effect of how well we as Americans spend in these six weeks. Do you realize that? There is a global ripple effect. So that's an an excuse for you to go out and spend if you're the spender in the family because you're helping the global economy. That's what you tell your spouse anyway. But uh, that was not funny for some, but some, uh, I I got a little, uh, a courtesy chuckle at least out of that. So the, 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 the whole idea of gifting, we have perfected it in America. We do it better than anybody else. I mean, in the fact that we give so much and it becomes about that to the point that Christmas and the eyes of a child many times, or maybe in the, the size of the gift or the cost of the gift or the where we go on the gift to the adult becomes the wonder of the season. It becomes the focus. It becomes the wow factor. It becomes the grandiose. And I'm afraid at times, I've been guilty of this too, 
that wonder of the Christmas has been lost, has been overshadowed, has been replaced by the wonder of gifts. And as a person whose love language is gifts, I'm not asking you to give me gifts because if you do, I'll probably re-gift it. Um, no, no offense. But uh, the, the idea of gifts, I get that. I'm all in on the gift giving. But the wow factor, the awe factor, the, the take over the season of what it come, has come to, it's a little bit, it's a little bit offsetting for me. I think A.W. Tozer set me straight whenever he and his prophetic voice said it like this, Christ came to bring peace and we celebrate his coming by making peace impossible for six weeks each year. When he came to help the poor and we heap gifts upon those who do not need them. When you think about the level setting of Christmas and getting things in the right order and downsizing or right-sizing may be a better way to put it, we might want to think about the gift giving. Has it overshadowed? Has it taken the place of? Has it become the focus in our homes? And we have to really be honest with ourselves about that because the reality is, is we will exchange gifts this season. Again, not against it. 93% of Americans, according to facts and trends, will exchange gifts this time of year. Go for it. Have a great time. Go spend. Go make money. Go help the global economy. Go share the gifts. Help the needy. Help the help help those that don't need anything. You know, help your kids. Do that. But here's another disturbing fact. In facts and trends, it says 62% of Americans will actually attend a religious service. So again, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know we live in a culture where Christ is no longer the center of Christmas, even though it was about him, uh, and that, that it's a much more of a commercial ho- holiday than it is about a babe in a manger. I, I get it, I get it, I get it, but let's level set it. Let's come back to what it was really beautifully about in the beginning. And let me just say this, and again, this is not the only time. I hope this is a 24-7, 365 day a year that we live in wonder, constant wonder of Jesus and who he is and what he is and what he's done for us. I hope we do that. But, you know, at Christmas time, we want to make it a priority. We've done as many things as we can. And on Christmas Eve night, if you don't have a place to go, if you've not been invited or you're going to be in town or you're going to have family in town, I want to encourage you to attend one of our, our, our gatherings. We're going to be here. We'll have an incredible time. It'll bring time where you can bring your children, your uh, elementary age kids in. We'll have uh, daycare or, excuse me, uh, child care for our, for our preschool kids. And so just come and be a part and do this as a family because here's what we need. In this Christmas season, what we need in our life, and I've said this every week now, is we need to steer the wonder of our children. Parents, adults, aunts and uncles, if you don't have children, you get to, in some way, shape and steer the wonder. What are they going to focus on? What are they going to be in awe over? We get to do that. Kids help us to restore the wonder to bring back what's been lost, to maybe if we can get them focusing on the wow of what the meaning is, then they could bring us back. Because here's what I know about wonder. When wonder of God in Christ and who he is is in place in our life, when wonder is there, wonder will fuel worship. Now, you might think this is a series on wonder. You might think this is a series on, on Christmas. But this is actually a series on worship. And I think really if we understood wonder and how wonder fuels worship, then that we would go back and say, I need more wonder in my life. And when you have more wonder, it will produce greater 
worship. We, we exist as a church. We say that we exist to encourage authentic worship. So what I want to see and what I hope it happens in you is, again, restored, renewed, whatever needs to happen in you, that the wonder of Christ will come back. Now, when we say Christmas, you've got to realize that really what we're saying is we're saying worship Christ. Because when you take the etymology of the word Christmas, you basically break it apart, Christ mass, Christ worship. So what we want to see is real, true Christmas happen in our lives, in our minds, in our souls, that things take place. Now, we have been talking through the Christmas narratives in Matthew and in Luke. Be finding Luke. We'll be there in a moment. But uh, we've been back and forth, back and forth, and we're going back to Matthew next week. And we'll, we'll, but, but just here's where we're at. Just hit review real quickly. We're looking at different people, different genders, different races, different ages, different socioeconomics, even different geopolitical backgrounds. We're looking at the different people of Christmas and all their diversity, but listen, listen, listen. We're looking for one common denominator. In all of these stories, in all of these events, you're going to find one common denominator, wonder. There is this, there is this overtaking, there is this overshadowing, there is this incredible consuming, there is this reshaping and reforming of the mind and the soul that, that happens in all of the stories. For Joseph, for example, Joseph's wonder moved him into the next step of his life. So y'all struggle with the next step of your life? Where is it? Well, what is it? Renew the wonder and get fall in love with Jesus in a whole new, deeper way and let him show you the next step. I love Kayla in this service. Uh, Tara Nutt in the last service shared how they, God gave them the next step of what they were supposed to do. If you'll just take the next step, don't worry about the step after that until you take the last step that God told you to do. That's just a good general rule of thumb. This is what Joseph did. It was a beautiful thing. He literally did a 180 from where he was going when he encountered Christ at Christmas. Number two, let's look at Mary. Remember Mary? Her wonder shaped her worship. She totally, as a 14, 15-year-old girl, had her mind and soul and body blown away whenever she encountered Christmas. She was in wonder of it. And what it does to her is it, in, it takes what real worship, it, it takes what her soul needed was worship and it just exploded it. Where she learned to serve and she learned to praise. She learned that worship was an expression and worship was an experience. It was breathing in, it was breathing out. She really learned what worship was. It was a service and a praise, and she put herself out there. She, with her life, she gave it to, to service to God. With her lips, she offered worship to God. Now, how did she do that? If you remember, she was the one who wrote the first Christmas carol. The very first Christmas carol, if it's ever asked of you who wrote the first Christmas carol, it was Mary. We talked about that last week. We talked about Mary writing the first Christmas carol. We're going to talk about the first Christmas choir today. All right, we'll be there in a moment in Luke chapter 2. Let's just jump in where we're at and let's uh, revisit, kind of catching up. We were in chapter 1 last week. We're going to be in chapter 2 this week. And we can say after looking at last week, she was in her first trimester last week. She's in her third trimester this week. All right. And this is what happens in chapter 2 verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the leader of Rome 
What, is it, what does the leader of Rome want? What does his decree say? That all the world should be registered. Rome was considered the world. All the world should be registered. The Roman world should register. We need to know who we are. We need to know our taxes. We need to know our military strength. We need to know who we are, how many people we have. All the world needs to register. That was the situation that they're facing. It was just a very inconvenient thing. We'll go through a 2020 census next year in our nation. You'll never leave your house. You'll fill out a form online. You'll be done. Hit send and you'll be registered. Not the case here. This was the first registration of Quirinius, the governor of Syria. And it went out and registered that each to his own town. So wherever you were from, wherever your family was from, that's where you had to go for the census. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, that was where he was living at the time, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with his Mary, with Mary, his betrothed. Remember, we talked about that. They're not quite married yet, but they are married in a Jewish cultural kind of way where they're committed to each other and they're registering with each other. Who was with child? Now, that's not that big of a deal, right? You got to go to the census. You got to go about life. That's what you're going to do. So they're going to just go on down. They're going to get in the first taxi and take it down, the first speed train. And there's no such thing. They had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. No big deal, right? Unless you're having to ride on the back of a donkey and you're pregnant in the third trimester, unless you're having to walk it. And by the way, I looked it up. If you wanted to walk from Nazareth, where they lived, to Bethlehem, where they had to go register, you're going to walk a total of 90 miles today. Now, how do I know that? Because Google knows that. And Google knows everything. You ask God or you ask Google and you're going to get the answer. And so I asked Google, and it's 90 miles to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Again, no big deal unless you're in your third trimester pregnant. That that will induce labor for anybody. And she's on this track. And by the way, Google also says it will take you 33 hours. It doesn't say if you're pregnant or not whenever Google answers that. But it may take a little longer if you're because all the restroom breaks that you'll have to take. But 33 hours to get from point A to point B. That's a long time. So as she gets there, that's a one-way trip, by the way, they never make it home because the baby comes. And you know the story, the baby's born in Bethlehem. Now, why all of this is so important and fits into the, into the grand scheme of things is because way, way, way back hundreds of years ago in the book of Micah, it prophesied that there would be a baby born in Bethlehem that would rule the world. Ironically, where was Jesus born? in Bethlehem. Now, what's interesting is what happens immediately after that, after the story is told and Jesus is born, is the very next narrative, the very next story is of a bunch of ragtag on the side of a hill, a bunch of misfit shepherd boys. And they were the first one to get the Christmas story. They were the first ones to get the invitation to the, to the baby party, to the meet the baby they were the very first ones. Now, you've got to understand, when I'm talking about shepherds, I'm talking about nobodic nobodies, nobodic troublemakers. These were probably the ones with criminal records. These are probably the ones that had a rap sheet. 
These are probably the ones that you would probably think would be the last ones to get an invitation to the birth of Jesus, the King of the world. But this just shows you the beauty of Jesus and the story of Christmas. That Jesus Christ comes for the nots and the nobodies and the nothings and the zeros and the ones with rap sheets and the ones who are broken and the ones who are filthy and the ones who are not right. He comes for everyone. Next week, we're going to talk about these rich magi from the East. I love it that the Christmas story goes from one spectrum to the other spectrum, from one end to the other, from the low lives to the high lives, from the haves to the have-nots, from the somebodies to the nobodies, to the girls of the Jersey Shore and the housewives of Beverly Hills. It covers the whole gamut. Jesus comes for them all. What you see is what the shepherd experience in their broken lives is the experience, the wonder of the fullness of God. They get to experience a part of God that has not been expressed in the Christmas story so far, but is expressed from Genesis all the way to Revelation It's this one idea, this one word that you'll find in Genesis, you'll find it in the Revelation, you'll find it all points in between. It's this one word that we have a hard time because it doesn't exactly fit into our vocabulary. We don't go around using it in everyday language. It's the word glory. But you're going to see glory multiple times. Multiple times you're going to hear it from the angels. You're going to hear it from the shepherds. This word glory, glory is going to come into play. What does glory mean? It is used throughout the Bible, so we've got to unpack it, and it's certainly used in this narrative. It means density. It means the contents on the inside. It means the fullness. It means the thickness. It means the mass. It means the concentration. So when we talk about Jesus meek and mild, we're not just not talking about this little baby Jesus. We're talking about the fullness of God dwelling and living among us. That's big news. The fullness, the density, the glory, the, the, the mass, the thickness, the, the concentration of who he is. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 whenever we go into the shepherd's story. In verse 8 it says, And in the same region as Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, And an angel of the Lord, now this is three weeks in a row that we've seen angels, unnamed angel to Matthew, Gabriel to Mary, and now we're having another unknown angel. But notice this, that when Jesus is born, it's not just one angel, it's the whole kitten caboodle show up. The whole crowd shows up and the Lord appeared to them and and the glory, there's the first word, the density, the fullness, the the mass, the concentration, the the fullness of uh, and the glory of God was around them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, the angel, one angel, said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born. Now notice he calls them out. He says, you shepherd boys, you misfits, you broken, you thieves, you uh, unnamed, unknown people. He came to you. I bring you good news of great joy to all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign to you and you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a great angel and a multitude. So the angels now multiply the heavens. They fill it all up. They light it all up. The heavenly hosts were praising God. And what were they saying? Give me the first word, glory. Glory, fullness, density, mass to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, when the angels went away from into heaven and the shepherds said to one another, in this moment, now can you imagine? They're all in wonder. They're all dumbfounded. The angels were there. Did you see what I just saw? Did you hear what I just heard? Okay, let's, where, 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 what are we going to do? They're going to level set their lives. They're going to rearrange their schedule. They're going to reset their priorities. Let us go over to Bethlehem. Let us see this thing that has happened and the Lord made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they were made, uh, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. Everything that had been told, they told to them. Now notice this next word. And all who heard it, wondered. There's our word. At what the shepherds told them. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, what's the word? Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen. Notice they experience and they express worship as it had been told to them. When you look at this passage, we, we've been talking about wonder, but I need to put the first building block down. It's not just having wonder for wonder's sake. It's not just being wonder like wonder bread, or it's not just wonder because something impresses you or wows you. It's not wonder like that. No, no, no. Where does the wonder come from? What, what fills me with wonder? What fills me with wonder is the first word, and that's glory. When we understand the fullness of God and His presence, we understand the density of God and His fullness. We understand who He is. When we get into the glory of who this magnificent God is that He came to me, that brings glory. Glory will fill us with wonder. Wonder will fuel our worship. And what happens then is we begin to worship. And when we worship, we are willing and ready and able and in first place in everything. We're going going to put God first and best in our life. There's a total process that happens here. And if we don't get to the glory, if we don't get to the essence, if we don't get to the fullness of who he is, then we may miss the wonder. It may misguide our worship. We may get off track on what is first and what gets our best. But if we can come back to the glory, to the density to the fullness, to the completeness, to the concentration, to the very mass of who he is, it will change who we are. Three measures. If you're measuring out the mass and you're weighing out the concentration, if you're trying to figure out the density, what do we see when the shepherd's story here? One is that Christ gives us substance. Substance. We all want substance in life. We want substantive relationships. We want highly functional, healthy relationships. We leave relationships because they're toxic. 
We don't want bad relationships. Healthy choices sometimes when you get out of bad relationships. We want a prosperous career. We want to make a living. We want to advance. We want to have a healthy 401k. We want to retire someday. We talk about prosperity. We want to have an advancing education. We want to have the competitive edge in this world. These are things that sometimes make up the substance of who we are. But what Jesus does is he gives us substance. He becomes our substance whenever he becomes our essence. When we understand and allow his glory to fill our hearts and his glory to change us in, in, in his fullness. I, I, the best way I can picture this for you and help you understand it is, is in the words of the great philosopher Forrest Gump. Life is like, say it with me, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know which one you're going to get. That's what his mother told him. All right, and so he repeats it and lives his life off of that. And and you know what? I I can totally identify with that because at Christmas time we'll give a box of chocolates or Valentine's Day give a box of chocolates or something like that. And I always enjoyed it because it was like a surprise. But I learned this that there's some of those things on the inside I didn't like. All right, so I would look at it, open up a box of chocolates, and I'd look inside. Which one? My what substance is in that one behind that chocolate shell? And then I would every now and then I would bite into it. Nope, we'll put that one back. And uh, now you did the same thing. You know you did. Um, but you know what? I would always look for the one that had caramel, that had nuts. I mean, you're talking that's sweetness there, buddy. And so I, I'm like looking for that. And then somebody said, if you'll take the box and turn it over, it gives you the answers on the back. It's like, that's incredible. Who thought of that? You know, that you can have answers to the chocolates that's on the inside. Because I can't stand chocolate-covered cherries. Anybody like those? You can have mine. If anybody gives them to me, you come see me. Or the white stuff, what the heck is the white stuff? Okay, can't stand it. Look on the source. What is the substance on the inside? And so many of us are biting down, picking and choosing relationships, career paths, money, whatever, whatever. And we're waking up disappointed, unfulfilled because of the density there within. God said this in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. He says, today I ask heaven and earth be witness." I, God, am offering you, Mike McDaniel, everyone in this room, say your name, life or death, blessing or cursing, this or that, choose life. Make the right choice. You're, you're, you got life in front of you. You got options in front of you. You got things in front of you. And you keep biting down and you keep eating and chomping on the things. Find the one that has substance and bite down and let that be the life that you live. Now, it's not just you choose your way. I choose my way. God is standing before us and says, I want you to choose life. And I love it. You come to the story in Luke 2 and you have him sitting here as the, the very first message that goes out from the manger about this Savior that is born is the message to these lonely shepherds. Not just lonely shepherds, ruffigans, mess-ups, robbers, low life, the low end of the spectrum. Good news goes out 
to them. That word good news is the word we get our English, where we, where we get the, our, our English word evangel from. The, the evangel, the good news, the gospel is, comes from this word. The idea of the gospel goes, the angels stood up on that mountain with those angels and they said, listen, we've got the gospel for you. What's the gospel? The gospel is great joy. Joy is there. That is what makes up the gospel. Joy is for us in our lives. And again, so many of us look for joy in the empty traditions and we end up dissatisfied this time of year. We look for it in a recipe uh, and we end up feeling fat and out of shape. We look for it in retail therapy because this is open season for retail therapy people. All right. So you can go out and you can spend uh, your little heart's content or your credit cards are full. And, and then all you leaves you with in January is feeling bankrupt. You're like, man, I just keep chasing this endless cycle out there. Why spend your money? Isaiah said, on something that has not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. He came and the angel said, I got good news. I've got gospel. I've got evangel for you. I am an evangelist. The angel is an evangelist to the shepherds. And here's what I got for you. I got joy. That's what I'm offering you. That's what Jesus is coming, is offering. But it's not just joy, it's great joy. I love the descriptor here. It's the Greek word megas, which where we get our word mega from. Megas, mega, you can hear it in there. And the whole idea there is not only quantity, but quality. Quality and quantity. The idea is it is full, it is complete, it is awesome, it is incredible, it is unending joy. Not temporary, not fading, not limited. You're not going to find this in a pill. You're not going to find this in a bottle. You're not going to find this in a purchase. You're not going to find this in a career path. You're going to find this in Jesus. That's why when Paul, and the reason I can say that is Paul uses the same word megos. He uses it when he was in prison in, in, in Rome for being a Christian. He doesn't have his clothes. He doesn't have his family. He doesn't have his friends. He doesn't have his nice, comfortable home. He's in a prison cell. And what does he say in the book of Philippians? Chapter four, verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord, Megos. The idea is that joy doesn't just go with circumstances. Joy stays with us. Christ gives us substance. Christ gives us a mission for living. Now, I I don't have time to develop this completely other than to say this, is the angel in one swift sentence said this, I've got good news, I've got gospel, I've got evangel. The evangel is this, there is great joy. It's not just great joy for you, but for all the peoples. All the peoples. Every last person on the earth needs to hear the gospel, the good news, the evangel this, that, that, that we speak of today. This is why we're going to have a team of ladies here on the stage here in a few moments that are going to go over to, to, to Athens, Greece, and they're going to live there, or they're going to be there for Christmas season, and they're going to spend Christmas there with women that are from Syria, from Afghanistan, from Iraq, from Iran, that have been literally some blown out of their home, chased out of their country, and they're looking for joy. They're looking for hope. 
And our ladies are going to be there and we're going to pray over them as they go out because this is what the Bible wants us to be about. This is a message for all the people. Some verses to jot down. Genesis 12, 3, it tells us that the, that, that they, they shall be, uh, all families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham's line. All the nations, it says in Psalm 86, all the nations uh, uh, shall, uh, shall come to bow down before thee. And glorify thy name. Glory again mentioned there. Psalm twenty two twenty seven says, And all the and all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before thee. You see this? There is a common thread with worship and evangelism. Worship and mission. Why? Because all the peoples of the earth are called to worship him. There's other verses I don't have time to read. Psalm 66, 4, Genesis 49, 10, Matthew 27, verse 14. All of these. I ask you this question. Who do you know that needs good news? That needs to hear that there is a source, there is a substance that will give them great joy. Who do you know that's to all the peoples. We ask early in the fall or in the summer even, we ask our people, who's your one? We ask you just name one person. Who's your one that you're going to pray for, that you're going to invest and you're going to introduce the gospel to when God gives you the opportunity? You're going to invite maybe. You're going you're to intercede for them. I got it on my clock at 5.08 in the morning, every morning. It reminds me to pray for my one. Now, the great thing is I had multiple ones. One of my ones already gave his life to Christ. And just like these were baptized, he was baptized last time. Who's your one? Because all the people need to hear the story. Number three, Christ gives us a person to worship. I love it that God puts on flesh and dwells among us. This is big. No other religion in the world can offer this. In Genesis 11, they tried to build a tower that would reach to the heavens. Man tried to make his way to God in Genesis 11. But in Genesis 12, God said, I'm going to make my way to you. And all the nations of the earth and all the peoples and all the families of the earth will be blessed because I am sending my son. And now 2,000, 3,000 years later, we see Jesus coming on the scene. This is a fulfillment in prophecy. And what happens now? The angels go away. The shepherds are left there in wonder. What are we going to do? They hightail it. They get off their duffs and they head. Duffs means butt. So they get off their duffs and they start heading over to find this Jesus. They're going to find this Jesus. They find Mary. They find Jesus. They find Joseph. They find them all there just as the angel had said. They went in haste, it says in verse 16. And again, I got to come back to verse 18. And all who heard it wondered wondered at what the shepherds, the shepherds, listen to this, the evangelized quickly became the evangelist. They didn't, there was no time, there was no wasting. They had heard a message. They had went and they told that message. 
The people who had heard the good news from the angels immediately go out and tell the good news of what the angels had said. How does Mary receive all of this? And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She was caught up in the wonder. She had experienced the glory. She was filled with it. She went on to wonder. She went on to worship. And she went on to giving her first and her best to God. And the, and the shepherds walked away from that moment. How did they walk away? Praising God, glorifying and praising God. Glory fills you with wonder. Wonder fuels your worship. And when you begin to worship, you give God your first, you give him your best, and you do it with a grateful, grateful heart. I want to close with a story of a Christmas carol. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. You might have sang that with us before. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote these words. Uh, say it with me. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat. A peace on earth, goodwill to men. What a beautiful song. Maybe it's one of your tops. I don't know. Maybe you don't even know it. Go listen to it. It's a beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol. But you know when it was written? written in 1846, 1864, excuse me, 1864. You know what was happening in 1864? It was the bloodiest war in America was happening. It was right towards the end because in 1863, Longfellow's son, Charles, disobeyed his dad and did what his dad told him not to do he joined the Union Army. And when he went off to war, he did not last long as a young soldier. In fact, his life was taken from him. That Christmas season comes back around, and it's a Christmas like no other. He writes these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, a peace on earth, goodwill to men. But few people read or sing the second to the last stanza of that poem. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. This was a man in a private moment in his life was wondering where the peace was. Was wondering where is the peace on earth that the world is mocking. You might be in that stage right now in your life where you identify more with that stanza than you do the first stanza. I, my prayer is this, that you will know that there is good news and it is full of great joy. And if you don't, you are all the peoples that need to hear that. And if you know that, you know somebody who needs to hear that. Would you pray with me? In the stillness of this moment, I ask you, which stanza of that Christmas carol describes you? 
Is it a sweet words that are repeating in your head of peace on earth, goodwill to men? Or are you the stanza that says, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men? Wherever you are, I pray that you will experience the density, the fullness, the mass, the glory of Jesus today. That you will say, Jesus, I need you. I'm incomplete without you. I need you, Jesus, and I give myself to him. Tell him that. Tell him in your own words. Father, you know who we are. We cannot hide. You've come to us. We can't build towers any more than the people of Babel can build a tower to you. We can't make our way to you. You made your way to us. You came to us. You sought us. You gave yourself for us. Lord, all we can do is bow ourselves and give you our first and give you our best for the rest of our life as an act of worship because you fill us with wonder because your wonder is the glory of who you are. Lord Jesus, would you fill us with wonder today? Would you introduce some of us to your glory today? Lord, thank you that we can sing of the birth but we know it's ultimately going to lead to your death and how through your death and through your blood, we have life. And we sing of that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?